this thing on? If you like rock music, punk, metal, or blues, then you've come to the right place because we like it too. Everyone and welcome back to Soundcheck, the rock and roll and alternative music podcast here at Central Michigan Life. I'm Michael Livingston. I'm in front of a camera today because we are doing another episode of Record Roulette. And if you didn't see the first episode, the rules are pretty simple. We're going to be choosing some records from each other's record collection. We're going to be putting it back if A, the record is too well known, we've already said enough on it, uh, B, we've already brought it on the show before, or C, it's just too obscure and too weird for anybody to access easily. Uh, we're going to kick it into gear first at Ben's place, and I believe Andrew is picking first. Let's go. Hello, everyone. I'm Andrew. Ben's collection. I'm going to go, like last time, to the 45s. Um, I need to blindfold myself first before I, I do that. All right, it's all nice and snug. I see nothing. I know nothing. Let's uh, let's see what we got here. Ooh, it's nice, smooth, shiny. Michael seems very excited. Oh, oh! Yes, yes, Detroit drives. Let's go. Yeah, we got the Gories. I know of the Gories. I do not know them very well, so I'm really excited to check this out. Nice. Michael Livingston picking from Ben Ackley's collection, going for the LPs. Let's go. Guy, this is the 45s. That's not what I asked for. But I will pick anyway. Let's see it. I don't know what it is yet. I don't know what it is. Pop Art by Elton Matello. Let's go. Ben Ackley picking from my own record collection. As you can see, I'm not blindfolded because I'm going to specifically select something to torture and delight everyone with. Um, as you have seen so far, we've only gotten 45s from my collection, which gives me the perfect excuse to pull out this double album, the Hampton Grease Band's Music to Eat. Um, Southern uh, late 60s psych rock with a Zappa bent. Hello everyone, welcome back to my humble abode and to my record collection over here. Ooh, big shelf. That's about from A to P. And down here, ooh, that's like all from S to U and then everything else. Michael Livingston picking from Andrew Mullen's record collection. I got a good feeling about this one. Uh, sure. Oh, yeah? 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 Okay. Okay. Uh, we got, we got Corgi Barnett's second full-length album. Ah, I have not listened to this uh, one yet. Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> ben Ackley donning the blindfold for the first time this episode to go through Andrew's record collection. I'm going to go over here 
Okay. Okay, okay. You'll like this. Okay. Okay. We've got a live record by the Sonics. Uh. Keep picking live records for my collection. All right, now it's my turn to pick from my record collection. But like last time, I'm going to do a little bit differently. Uh, since I know where everything is in my collection, since it's alphabetized, I'm going to go to Discogs. If you don't know what Discogs is, it's a really great service if you collect records that helps let you keep track of everything that you have, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I'm going to, I can shake this. Uh, it might take a few goes since, unfortunately, I can no longer get pick randomly between LPs, whatever. Uh, I'm going to shake this until we get something that qualifies for this episode. Uh, so, yeah. Let's see what I get. Uh, <laughs> okay, you know what? Another live record. It's a double one, but I'm fine with this. So, I gotta say this title now. What did I just pick? We're going over to the A's here. We have a, a, a alternative tentacles. Alien farm. So we got some 90s, weird 90s alternative rock in the form of Al Stonet and their live record. Dry humping the cash cow. <laughs> Live at CBGB. I'm Andrew Mullen, and I'm here to pick from Michael Livingston's collection. Okay. okay. What is this? Oh, I was with you when you bought this. I don't know what this is. It's I've a been... great modern post pop Looks I like don't know this one. So five excited. songs. <laughs> Hello, I am the real Andrew Mullen, and I'm here to pick a real sweet pick from Michael Livingston's record collection. Let's go. Blindfold on. Let's go. I think Ben picked from like over here, so I'm gonna go further into the collection. Ooh, this is a, a thick boy. Let's, uh, let's, let's go for this. Okay. Let's <laughs> Very go. Very dense listen for you, Andrew. <laughs> okay. Oh, well. Okay. You have chosen Steve Reich music for 18 musicians. What in the world did I just pick sections? These songs are just called sections? It's classical. I have gone way over my head. <laughs> I'm going to be picking now blindfolded from my own collection, just like I did last time. So here we go. Yes. Okay, we got two records now that Andrew was there when I got them. I stole this record from Andrew. I wanted to buy it, but he wouldn't let me. Nope, but now I will get a chance to listen to it. Hello, we are now in the studio amongst Ben's knickknacks. We got books, we got clowns, we got demons, and we got records. Two clowns. And, oh, am I one of the clowns? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's fair. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, we've already picked our records. Uh, probably about a week later, uh, as we're recording this, we have consumed all the music that was picked out, and now... I have literally this. eaten vinyl this past week. <laughs> Yum. Yes. <laughs> yes, we have, uh, we've all had our ho hospital visits, and now we are ready to talk about what we have consumed. <laughs> um, so, 
uh, last time we kind of um, we, we kind of just ordered stuff based on like whose collection was in that we talked about who picked what and whatever it's pretty standard fare this time I thought we'd have a little more fun with it because well uh, we think I think we generally I think we got a lot more variety this time a lot weirder stuff this time so Ben how did we order the uh, records we were talking about today well we're sort of going from least to most insane um, mm-hmm. that, that's that's basically the concept here and you'll be surprised to know that I had the most insane record which I think is probably a rarity around here um, yes. mm-hmm. but I'm very proud of that and and yeah I mean that's how we're doing it you, know? you also have our first record today Benjamin or sorry no Andrew does well it's Benjamin's record we're talking about but I picked it yes from his that's collection. what I meant that's what I meant we'll, so, we'll assume I was accurate in that whole statement yeah. no you 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 were you were accurate in, in a certain sense michael don't you don't have to put yourself <laughs> down all right but anyways talk about the gories yes uh the gories i'm the least qualified to introduce this band to you all um listening because uh this was kind of a, a band i really knew by name only um before kind of listening to this and even then we had a 45 so i'm still not an expert on the Gories. What I do know is that they're a Detroit, a, uh, Detroit garage rock group that started in the 80s or 90s, was it? 90s. Um, 90s, okay. And it was one of the two. Um, I know they broke up for a little bit. They reunited at one point. So they definitely do have a strong history in terms of t- Detroit rock and roll. But um, it's about as much as I can say, other than uh, I really liked what I picked here. It was a single. Uh, a song called Be Nice was on the A side. And then a song called On the Run on the B side. I can also add that the Gories are a favorite to Garage Detroit Garage Rock legends, the White Stripes, specifically Jack White. And this particular 45 is off his label, Third Man Records. True. So is my 45 adapter. Third Man Records. Sponsor? Please sponsor us. <laughs> that would be quite the guess for us. But uh, yeah, I, I really can't say anything more about it without uh, other thing I really liked what I heard. But in terms of actual biographical information, Ben, Michael, what else can you say about the Gories? Well, um, so the, there was a garage revival in the 90s, people going back and digging the stuff from the 60s, teen groups that recorded in basements and garages and a plethora of other places around the United States attempting to imitate the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and failing gloriously. Um, the Gories are one of that ilk. They are probably one of the best garage revival groups. I'd put them within my top three with probably early White Stripe stuff and the Mummies, um, who are some someone who only releases their stuff on vinyl that we will hopefully talk about again someday. But um, the Gories, this single is a reunion single from 2016 when they got back together. Uh, and they talked a lot about how it was really hard to recapture their sound. But something interesting about the Gories is uh, Mick Collins and Danny Crow are both guitarists. There's no bassist. Um, and the drummer just plays toms, basically. So it's a very, very minimal, primitive sound. Um, and it's a wonderful sound. I love all of their stuff. They have three records. They're all great. I highly suggest anyone seek them out. Well, you can hear this particular single right now. Be nice. With that crisp final sound.
just heard a snippet but we just enjoyed that entire thing (laughs) and now while ben works on uh queuing up our next record andrew what are some particular elements you liked about the gories just from listening to these Uh, two singles well i I thought it was very interesting i didn't really pick up on it until ben mentioned it that they didn't have any bass with it which kind of gave this a really nice slightly reverby Mm -hmm. kind of you know dirty 60s you know garage sound that I know both me and Ben really enjoy. In fact, you'll hear more of that maybe on our next pick. But yes. we'll get to that in a second. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I again, I don't really can't attest to their '90s stuff. I don't know if it's better or worse than this, but mm. I, I really liked what I heard here. Um, what, how do you think that um, you know that classic garage scream that you hear in a lot of tracks compares to something that we would originally hear in something like the '60s? Um, and just on a vocal standpoint, how do you think it compares? I mean, I mean, it's. I mean, I. I don't think it's too, too different uh, than what we hear than what we would hear in the '60s. I mean, I think this. To me, this sounds a little maybe slightly tamer than some of the wilder stuff that we would hear there. But right. I mean, this this can fit in right with there. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's interesting because Ben mentioned uh, you know kind of the garage revival of the '90s. You know, there's a lot of bands that eventually it would kind of form. A whole new sound that we would hear that was pretty popular in the early 2000s with bands like um you know the white stripes you'd mentioned even maybe the strokes to some extent sure. uh which i really appreciate but you know there's something magical about that 90s garage revival period right. um because you you find, you find some interesting bands some bands that's even almost impossible to distinguish from the early ones there's mm-hmm. a band that i really like called uh, the mistreated i think mm-hmm. uh, it's spelled with a y instead of an i both not only in terms of sound and uh and kind of delivery but in production even recording quality mm-hmm. like it sounds like it's lifted straight from the 60s right. it's amazing so um mm-hmm. obviously this is the revival i don't think that's what they're really going for but this is really dirty sounding uh stuff i really appreciate it it does remind me a lot of that of, of that early 60s sound which i appreciate well now i think we're going to revisit some of that magic of the 60s right it wasn't yeah. recorded in the 60s but through a yeah. uh, again 2010s lens mm-hmm um, so, this is my pick from Andrew's collection, another garage masterpiece, I would say, um, or at least a great garage band, The Sonics. This is their Live at Easy Street album. Um, I think their only true live album. There's some live recordings you can hear, but they're not from the 60s. They're from the 70s, reunions and stuff like that. Um, there are tons of guests all over this record. Eddie Vedder sings a song. Yes. The guy that sang for Presidency of the United States of America sings a song. There are people playing guitar, all kinds of guests, original band members, people from other great bands. It's awesome. Um, The song I'm going to play for you is just the original lineup, though. Um, I think there might be an extra auxiliary guitarist from some other band on Mm -hmm. it, but original singer is the most important thing to say. The Sonics we've talked about on the Garage episode. I think it's safe to say that we are all fans of them in some capacity. Of course. Um, And what what you really should listen for here is the fact that this was recorded by a group of retirement age men um 
except for you know like replacements in the band who are still older guys mm-hmm. this is old dudes and they still sound essentially the same as they did on their 60s records um one thing that we I don't think we touched on with the Sonics fully in the Garage episode, which you could go back and listen to. I think that's like season three. That's before I was even. Uh, I think season that is season two. I wow. Say. Yeah. That's before so I was even ago, yeah. a regular uh, part yeah. of the show. It was their I first feel, episode, man. I, yeah. feel, I feel as old as the Sonics. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but do you sound as young as the Sonics do on this record? Is the question, Ooh. Michael. But what did we miss, Ben? Oh, well. Um, we didn't. We talked a little bit, probably, I'm sure, about the occult tendencies of some of their lyrics. But what we didn't talk about is the song He's Waiting from their second album, which they play live here, which focuses specifically on Satan and probably makes the Sonics one of the first rock bands to ever sing about Satan in a any light, really. Interesting. So this is the, the start of a grand tradition. All right. Hail Satan, hail vinyl. Let's hear it. <laughs> Devil music. just heard the sonics um yeah well <laughs> i'm knocking stuff over <laughs> yeah no thanks fine cheese i enjoyed listening to that one compared to the gory it's just like kind of what we were talking about earlier the comparison between the original stuff and the revival in the 90s um but yeah it, it, every time i hear a song off that record i'm constantly surprised how they're able to keep up that same energy that they put forth in the 60s that was absolutely groundbreaking uh when compared to the other pop music of the time yeah definitely and I, I think it's i mean it's still yeah i was surprised to think that this was like oh this they recorded this in 20 what 15 or something like yeah, that like mid 2010s mm-hmm. yeah i think it was like they did this like at some record store and you know they still have all like the energy and the traditions i think they had probably from the 60s and yeah, you know, we, we already talked a lot about them in not only our Garage episode, but I think Ben's second episode, too, um, which we talked about horror punk, uh, you know, is kind of being 
forerunner of that genre. Mm-hmm. Um, so check both of those out in our yeah. archives. But um, it, it, it's, you know, yeah, I, I think they're just kind of showing people on this record, you know, with all the guests, even with all the guests that I imagine were inspired to make music by the Sonics, uh, that they, they're, they're, they're placed in rock and roll history. You know, I don't think they're sung enough. So, um, yeah, if you've never listened to the Sonics, probably this isn't maybe the first place you should go to, but definitely um, uh, not a bad place to go to once you're familiar. It is worth saying as well, if you're familiar with the early Sonic stuff and you haven't listened to their late period album or EP, there's good stuff to be found there. It's not as strong as the 60s stuff, but they still were writing good songs. Cheap Shades and Vampire Kiss from that EP are two songs that I really enjoy personally. Mm-hmm. And that's basically it for the Sonics, right? I believe so. I'm ready to present my first pick over here. Um, this is a record that I actually picked from my personal collection while bi- blindfolded, but uh, it has a story behind it because I bought this record while I was with Andrew, and we kind of fought over it. And I bought it because Andrew wanted it. <laughs> I just wanted <laughs> Gee, to be thanks. Yeah, I essentially. It. Yeah. Do you remember which record store it was? Uh, was it? It was in Ann Arbor. No, it was. So it was Encore. Encore yes. Records in Ann Arbor. Uh, Encore, you want to say anything about Encore Records, Michael? Oh, I'd love to. Encore is my personal favorite record store. It's been in Ann Arbor forever. Just moved to Carytown. And um, just continuously nice people that work there. They supply you with some of the best stuff. New stuff, old stuff. Great used section too, particularly used CDs. Have some fond memories picking through the dollar section there with Andrew. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I hope we can all plug our favorite record shops in this episode. But more about the golden uh, about Golden Void. I was uh, happy to find that it's a just a a great rock, very fuzzy band out of California. Um, I didn't really find a lot of new things on this record, but that's not really what I was looking for because after listening to some of my other picks for this episode, <laughs> I got into a particular Black Sabbath mood, and that was just echoed by this record. I can hear the Sabbath in it. I can hear the Deep Purple in it. It's really a fantastic sort of callback to that uh, that 70s sort of proto-metal era. So without further ado, I'd like to play the song The Curve, um, which was my particular record. It just kind of... Exp- or, my particular song just kind of explodes. We can see if I will cue this up right or not. Let's see. just to kind of echo what i said before you can hear this guy channeling ozzy you can hear the guitarist uh you know channeling iomi um what you the new things that i sort of got from this was like you heard that incredible like 
sort of solo melody that went underneath there that just kind of uh, you know sonically it just sounds amazing above all of those sort of like low crunchy guitars um this particular song was probably the fastest on the record which is why i pointed it out the rest of it really channels it that channels that slow chugging sabbath sound that we all know and love is it a record that i would come back to i'm not quite sure but i enjoyed it for what it is and andrew knows more about this particular band so maybe you can offer your opinions too um not not a great deal much more but yeah i was definitely uh the reason why i was bitter because i didn't know about this band before and i and i do enjoy their music quite a bit some really fun you know stoner rock um it's the best way i would put it Mm -hmm. and uh, you can you can definitely hear the sabbath in here i mean i guess you can i I definitely wouldn't say it's doom metal kind of like how a lot of sabbath stuff was i think it's a little too even even when they're slower they're not quite as like death and destruction yeah so it's more like never say die sort of yeah i think that's a i think that's a fair comparison um but yeah i remember i was michael brought this up hey this looks cool it's like oh can i get that he's like no like okay (laughs) well i would actually like to announce on this episode andrew since i forgot to give you a christmas present this past year you may have no, this record. You don't, you don't no, I'm serious. That. I'm serious. I want you to have it. Oh, Michael, it's okay. I'm not bitter anymore. I'm glad you <laughs> had it. But we, we can talk more after. Maybe we can work out a trade. But I've had, actually, funny enough, I think I had a f- repeater by Fugazi, and you're like, okay, if you let me have repeater, I'll give you this. I'm like, mm. mm-hmm. I went with Fugazi. So it's funny, even though I do like Golden Void. Yeah, they're, um, like I said, they're just kind of a fun stoner rock band. I, I think I found them through, like, Spotify searching. Um, I don't know. Like they, they, they have a good guitarist. Uh, I, I can tell you what that that was, this is their first record, their self-titled release. Um, its production definitely is a bit shoddy in some areas. It's far from polished, uh, which in some ways makes it makes it better because you know obviously something like you know Stoner Rock is always kind of meant to be a little dirty, a little kind of washed out. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want something a little more polished, definitely go for their. Uh, second record. I think they only have two out right now. Um, if, uh, I don't remember the name of it. If you could pull it up, Michael. I can do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's I don't have any much, anything much else to say other than uh, I'm glad you enjoyed the record you stole from me, Michael. <laughs> yes, Damn. that's that second record is called Burkana. If yes. anyone is interested in checking yes. that out, but you get to hear from me a little more because I got another pick here. It is. Well, my, Ben, do you have anything you want to say about Golden Void? I mean, I can kind of echo the stuff Michael had. We listened to it together, and I mean, is it groundbreaking? No, but it's just good tunes, you know? I mean, listen to it, find stuff you like, pull it out. Maybe you like the whole record, and you can go buy it, support a smaller artist. It's cool. There you go. Next record from me is a record I was already pretty much familiar with, an artist I've been familiar with with a long time. Picked this out of uh, Andrew's collection. Courtney Barnett, tell me how you really feel. Her second record, yes? Um, yes, second it, full, yes. I mean, second full solo record. Right, uh, right. So, I mean, she, I, did, she did one with uh, the record with Kurt Vile. Correct. Great record. One. Yes, fantastic record. I pretty much love anything Courtney Barnett touches. I mean, the, the way she sort of channels the Dylan-style songwriting, just the storytelling is is absolutely immaculate. Her voice is spectacular. Her the her Australian accents, the the way she sings, it's just it all comes together perfectly. And she's a great guitar player too, and that really shows on this record in particular. 
my favorite song was an absolute jam called Charity. And I want you guys to listen to it really closely because I could not unhear Sabbath Bloody Sabbath in the melody of this song. This is what got me into the Sabbath mood. I don't know if you guys are going to pick up on it, but just kind of listen to it and and tell me if you can hear it. Can you uh, can you kind of hear it the dun, 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 like a, a little nothing. bit of okay. it in the maybe, maybe. I don't, I, it's I don't music know I you it's, know yeah. there's guitars in it yeah yeah okay <laughs> well uh, I don't know what do you want to go first with this one Ben yeah sure I mean Courtney Barnett is one of those people that's on my list definitely I'm familiar with the uh, record that her and Kurt Vile did but I'm not really more familiar with Kurt Vile either I just know that record because it's one of my girlfriend's favorites. But, um, yeah, this is perfect for me, honestly. Like, Charity was the song that I heard that sort of turned the key on this whole equation for me because I I understood that Courtney Barnett was really good. I liked her songwriting. I liked her guitar playing. But it just had never fully clicked. And then when I heard that song, I was like, oh, my God, this is the most irresistible thing I've heard in a really long time, especially for something new from a new artist that I hadn't dug into you know it's just it's poppy the songwriting is great every element that i like is there and no element gets in the way of the other it's a perfect blend i would say mm-hmm. this the trio of songs that charity is a part of the ones that come after need a little time mm-hmm. and nameless faceless are just uh, like that's perfect track listing there i i love those three songs like in sequence of one another and even the b-side has some great ones too i like help yourself i like sunday roast it's 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 a great record and Mm -hmm. um i don't i don't particularly remember the critical uh reception that this one got do you Um, remember it all andrew um i i kind of looked it up before this episode and it generally it seems like critics were a little kinder to her first record than her second which I, as far as my personal opinion, I kind of reflect, not to say I don't like this record, this record's fantastic, um, but her first record, which we talked about in our de- decade kind of wrap up, mm-hmm. kind of talking about favorite records from the 2010s, I put that album at either like number four, maybe number three. Mm-hmm. Um, I, anyone who knows me knows I love her. F- sometimes I sit, sometimes, sometimes I sit and think, sometimes I just sit, I don't, it's 
complicated album, <laughs> album title, but I love that record so much. Um, and it's kind of so it's kind of hard for any other records to kind of match up to that one. Um, th- this is a perfectly fine record. I will say I think when it comes to the music musicality, I think it is probably has a slight edge to uh, sometimes I just sit simply for the fact that I think she was trying to get a little more complicated, kind of uh, getting adding a little variety to this record in terms of sound. You know, songs like Walking on Eggshells, I really like. It has this kind of exile on Main Street, like Stones era, like vibe to it with all the pianos with these mm-hmm. like kind of dirty guitars with it. It's really cool. Uh, my favorite song in the record uh, is probably I'm Hot Your Mother, I'm Not Your Bitch, uh, which is a cool song that has this really like, grimy, sick like groove to it. I think that was a really cool decision from her. Uh, then you get songs like Charity and City Looks Pretty. That has these really nice pop, you know, tunes to it. The the reason why I think I would still get the slight edge to her debut, though, are the lyrics. Not to say they're not great on here. They are. In fact, there are certain songs like uh, Nameless Faces, which is just a great, uh, nuanced, well-written track about uh, toxic mas- masculinity. Um, seriously, go check. In fact, actually, hold on. I have the lyrics right on the album cover. Super shiny and oh, wow. uh, probably just blew out your camera. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ben. That's okay. Um, but where is the thing? Um, the, the chorus, um, it was, I, w- I want to walk through the dark, um, through the park. I, w- I want to walk through the park in the dark. Men are scared that, w- that women will laugh at them. I want to walk through the park in the dark. Women are scared that men will kill them. I think that's a... Um, I think that's a line taken from some uh, author. I don't remember her name, but she she she's definitely more direct with her lyrics, and not saying not in just like a social like commentary way, but just kind of in general. She takes a more standard I don't want to say standard kind of a more um, again direct tone to her lyrics. When the album before had a much more stream of conscious way of kind of delivering mm-hmm. stuff. I yeah. always like to say with that record um, that she kind of writes how people think. You know, somehow some people, oh, like some directors write how people talk. She wrote lyrics on how people think, I, I, I want to say. And I think that's what I really enjoyed about that record the most. Um, and I still think you quite get that on here. So it just really comes down to a personal preference, I think. But definitely check out both records she's released. And she released a ton of EPs at the start of the career. They're all great. Um, yeah, I mean, anyone knows me knows I'm a huge fan of Courtney Barnett, so always happy to talk about her on the show. Yeah. I think we got Ben coming back around with another pick from my collection. I am so ill-equipped to talk about this that it's actually insane. Like, I was listening to this again today, and I asked Michael, like, what even genre would I define this as? So, honestly, I like it, but I think I'm going to default to the apparent two experts here um, <laughs> as opposed to me bumbling my way through this. Well, this also has another story about it. The same uh, record store uh, peruse that Andrew and I went on to get Golden Void, I picked this one up because Andrew said it was good, and uh, I took his recommendation. Come to find out that A Place to Bury Strangers is sort of a noise, shoegaze, atmospheric rock uh, throwing post punk with that as post-punk well. Post punk as yeah. well, yep. It's it's just a perfect blend of everything that I love. And uh, the first time I put this on, um, I was just kind of blown away by the wall of sound that they are able to create. Mm-hmm. Um, I love seeing that in pretty much all the stuff I listen to nowadays. But Andrew, you had some prior knowledge on the band a little bit before um, I actually picked this up. Yeah. So actually, I have. The record I was familiar with before then. So we're talking about on onwards to the wall, which is an right. EP of theirs released in. Does it say on the back? 
2012. I have their, I want to say their debut? If not, definitely the self-titled, no, not the self-titled record. Exploding Head. That's what I have from 2009 right here on the final. I will hold that up to the camera for our uh, YouTube watchers here. Um, I really... <laughs> Venice waving now. Uh, yes, I really like their uh, album Exploding Head. It, it's just got a really cool atmosphere. You definitely hear a lot of their influences with song from like Shiogay's uh, with, uh, I'm still 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 doing the joke, songs like uh, Keep Slipping Away. It's the kind of the post-punky atmospheres from the first track It Is Nothing. It's a really great album um, and I had actually never heard this EP though before listening to this episode because I don't know. Like I, I just, I don't know. I, I really like, I really like their debut. But I was just, I just didn't know what this EP was. Their newer stuff hasn't been very good, so I just kind of had been avoiding it. But I really regretted that after listening to this because um, I was actually, do not do this. This is a listeners at home. This is a case of, do as I say, not as I do. But I was biking at night with my headphones in. You know, whatever. I was staying on the sidewalks. Mm -hmm. I was trying to be safe, but. Yeah. Um, but I was playing this EP there and it was still still warm enough to kind of like go out and mm -hmm. uh, it was you know kind of dark I only had like the street street lamps uh, kind of lighting my way and just this pounding wall of, you mentioned a wall of noise just pounding rhythms and these just great ethereal yet just dark atmospheres that this um, album puts this EP put for I should say uh, was just per perfect, perfect uh, tone setter for that. And I, it just like pushed me really to go really hard. Yeah. And it just kind of matched the atmosphere that's happening. Uh, so. Yeah, Ben, what did you think? I mean, you yeah. picked out the record. Right. I mean, it's definitely the, uh, I would say that the, you know, like I'm, I'm a minor fan. I can get into shoegaze. I can get into noise stuff. But it's definitely the post-punk elements that kind of pull this all together for me. It really has a driving directness to it along with being atmospheric which is a really interesting sort of back and forth yin yang kind of thing that it has going on um, I'm going to play the first track off the first side vinyl called I Lost You which I think is really great also I like the album art seeing it big like this it, I get a lot more of the, uh, the the beautiful design and you'll be seeing it here in a second when we zoom in
such a cool sound to me. It's just, I don't, I don't know how to, I just don't know how else to put it. It's just, if you really liked what you heard, which I hope you did, uh, definitely check out the rest of this EP and then go back and listen to Exploding Head. That'd be my recommendation. Yeah, it, it definitely uh, throws me back to the first time I heard a band like Loomer and stuff like that with that fuzzy bass tone with the just in, mm-hmm. in cra- incredible uh I just invented a new word there. In crazy atmosphere. Voids of discovery here on Soundcheck. Yes, please check it out. Speaking of in crazy, we're just kind (laughs) of getting in crazier as we go along here. Um, I think with this release, this is sort of our bridge from stuff we would usually talk about here to the bizarre. Mm. Um, This is... Whose pick was this? This is a pick from my collection. This was mine. Uh, I picked this out of uh, Ben's 45 collection. Talking about Elton Motello Pop Art. It's a single um, off of... It it, it never made it to a date. The second Elton Motello album, Pop Art. Okay. So title track. This is some uh, just great 80... Well, I mean, Ben could back me up on this, but I would call this sort of 80 synth art rock sort of thing. (laughs) I really didn't know what to make of it the first time I heard it because I could hear, you know, the time period in there. I could hear, like, uh, the Talking Heads stuff. I can hear sort of the, um, you know, the the synthy sort of wave that I know, the 80s for. Yeah. Um, But this is definitely not, not music I go out of my usual zone to explore right um you had your own backstory with this particular single so i mean what would what did you feel when you first heard it yeah um it's so it's elton Matello, kind of a that's the name of the man but also the name of the band um this is from their second album sort of a footnote in like english punk new wave history not really never really made a big splash except for with the song jet boy jet girl which um lyrical content is so off-putting that I'm not even going to talk about it on the episode. I actually just looked it up. Um, but that's honestly a great song, um, I will still say. And this is just sort of a minor song from a minor band. I like it a lot, but I really bought it because I found it and I knew the name and I've been looking for all the Elton Motello stuff, which is essentially two albums and maybe a handful of non-album singles just because I like 80s punk and new wave. Um I like this song a lot. It, it's it's interesting because it kind of takes elements of the '70s art rock stuff. Like if you think of Roxy Music specifically, it has that sort of sound, which mm-hmm. didn't really seem to carry over to the '80s very much. Um, but I, I think it's a a good little track, and I would like to play. Uh, which side, Michael? Side A, if you please. Side A, pop art, and then we'll we'll talk a little more about it. So what? 
Yes. I, I realized calling it 80 synth was not the best pseudonym for that. I would say, yeah, definitely more of the 70s art rocks to the you know new wave more sort of sound uh i mean characterized by things by like that punchy bass tone sort of like a a funk element to it Mm -hmm. um you know very uh driving guitar tone with a a good amount of crunch to it that's sort of buried under these very exasperated vocals so right yeah it's a it's a great track it's it just hit me by surprise honestly um, I bet it did this, a similar thing with Andrew. Yeah, you know, I don't really have much else to add. I mean, I think uh, I really enjoyed both uh, the A side here, Pop Heart, with the uh, um, B side was at 20th Century Fox. Um, you know, I think Pop Art is the perfect name for this. You know, this is some new wave, you know, pop rock with uh, some twinges of psychedelica and uh, um, maybe a bit of elect- electronica as well kind of combined with all that art rock that was happening at the time, making, well, pop art. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it, it's just, it's a really pleasant song. I like it a lot. It's, I don't think it would ever be anyone's all-time number one, but I think it's a really good DJ set filler. It's a good thing to add to a playlist if, you, if you're into this kind of stuff especially. It's good to seek out Elton Matello and just hear what they have to offer because while not being one of the top bands of that movement, there are all these little bands with their little songs that could, you know, and this is one of them. And I like it a lot. So there you go. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> Good all luck, right, buddy. my turn. Um, so now I think we're really going off the deep end. We're really going out of our comfort zones here. The what we would normally talk about on the episode uh, on our, on our show. And, uh, this is what I picked from Michael's collection. And to be honest, I can't say I'm surprised. Um, <laughs> There's a story behind this record. Okay, uh, I, I'd like to take a quick moment to shout out uh, my old manager when I worked at Jets Pizza in Heartland <laughs> named Canyon Clark, who introduced me to so much music, so much uh, things in the experimental department, in the just things I would never even think to listen to. So we have him to blame. Yes, you have him to blame for all of the weird shit you see me bring on to this Yeah, uh, this is probably the most, out, at least for us, one of the most out there things. And yeah. I don't know if I've ever been terrified as I have now to talk about an artist on today's episode because yeah. I am way out of my element. I am going to any fans of this kind of music, any fans of the artists we're about to talk about here, um, they're going to get on my um, a tail end, which is fine. Well, hey, to all the uh, to all the kids that might be listening now from across the way over at the School of Music, this is for you. It's Steve Reich, songs for eighteen musicians, released the year I was born, yes. nineteen ninety eight. So what were your kind of first reactions uh, seeing the track list? Oh, you can so see it's divided up in <laughs> yeah, sections, sections, like a classical piece would be. Yeah, I, I knew you were intimidated when you first yeah, saw Yeah, oh, it. yeah. You could probably tell from the face I made on camera if you were watching <laughs> on the uh, on video. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I pulled this out. So, so it's like, oh, this is a double LP. This should be interesting. And, uh, well, <laughs> I guess I wasn't wrong. Yeah, and I was like, I saw like, it was like pulses. Like, oh, okay. And then like sections, like one through whatever. I'm not good with Roman numerals. And, yeah, and then Michael told me, oh, this is like oh, like classical music. And yeah. I, my my the blaring alarms started going off my head. It's like, this is, no, 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 you normie noob, punk rock, 
dude, this is no. You're, 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 you have made a big oopsie. Um, and then he found out it was like electronic classical. And yeah. The questions really started going through my head because... Jeez, okay, so I don't even know where to start with this thing. So, because I am, again, not qualified at yeah. all to talk well, about this. Well, I can this. give you a little background. I mean, Reich is mainly known for his contributions to what we refer to as the minimalist school of music. Um, and a lot of his work was sort of actually a lot of bands like uh, people who uh, par- were part of the CBGB scene of kind of art rock in, yeah. in the 80s and 70s um, actually were inspired a lot by Reich's compositions, particularly Sonic Youth. You can hear see a lot of interviews with Lee Ronaldo referencing him and the way he sort of builds a song um, right. as one of his main inspirations. Um, but yeah, this particular album characterizes a lot of sort of uh, synth and electric tones. Uh, it's very clean. It's very pristine. And it's um, it's an album that sort of builds and, and you know, it, it, everything you kind of expect every sound to come because it sort of just it, it remakes itself as it goes along. Um, this is the only particular piece of, like, what we would consider classical that I like is mainly Reich's material. But that's that's all the background I can really give you because well, I don't even know all that there is to know about this guy. Yeah. Well. Well. The, the question I have here is when you first said elect, electronic uh, classical music, you know, that's to many people, including myself, who has very limited knowledge of like classical music outside of like John Williams soundtracks. You know, um, typically when we think of a classical music, we think of these big giant orchestras. You got mm-hmm. all your horns and your strings, maybe some drums if they want to. But you know, you typically think of you know these brass, you know, analog instruments, um, not really electronic sounds. I, I, I guess you know, if someone doesn't really understand a lot of this stuff. How does how does how does someone introduce electronic you know elements to that stuff and still kind of keep it within the classic classical you know music motif? Do you think I know oh, anything great. about what the fuck you just asked? I think we should just play it for people and and let them determine it for themselves. So we'll just play the first track, uh, Pulses, even though this album is just basically one long, hour-long track. By the way, I should say that this record and the next year we're talking about are over an hour long. So, uh, yeah, these are are some heavy lists. The last three we're talking about are all over an hour. Mm -hmm. So, um, interesting. coming up next on your local public radio station, we have... Um, from Steve Reich's Music for 18 Musicians. Pulses. Pulses.
very, huh. very astute. <laughs> very, some very astute gestures being made. Well, what, okay. do you, what do you think, Ben, you wonderful weirdo you? Um, honestly, I it might be surprising, but I, I, I would classify a lot of this in sort of an ambient genre as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, when it, when it comes to like ambient stuff with electronics in it, that is something that I've been diving into recently. Um, artists like uh, the North Americans make great acoustic ambient stuff with synth elements. Uh, William Tyler is really good. Barry Walker Jr. uses pedal steel to make ambient music. Um, and I've, I've just been really enjoying stuff like that as background music recently, as stuff that I listen to a little bit more actively, as stuff that I listen to when I'm studying. Um, I like to, I don't just like to click, you know, a classical playlist. I like to know what I'm listening to. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely something that I would pull up in one of those sessions now. It's, it's something that's really nice to listen to. Yeah. So as far <laughs> as what I think is what I picked for this listen, okay. Um, everyone knows that I'm like the punk rock guy. doesn't mean I just listen to short, simple songs. Obviously, I can, I can uh, plenty complicated, quote unquote, you know, music, uh, complicated, quote unquote, comp- Plenty complicated music. music. Thank you, Ben. Um, that I can't enjoy. <laughs> guys, I'm trying. <laughs> so, no, it's plenty that I can't enjoy. And this was pretty. I don't know. I liked, mm-hmm. I, I kind of liked the shimmery um, kind of uh, twinkly stuff that you heard. Kind of kind of from that snippet you just heard, uh, which is pretty much about pretty well representative of what you're going to hear on the the entirety of this um, this album, you know, it is one long song. Michael said that just kind of all slightly changes as it goes along. It just kind of like I really like how you how you said Michael it kind of reworks itself as it moves along. I really appreciated kind of like the subtle changes that you can pick up throughout it. However, you know, this isn't I I I enjoyed it. I think while listening to it, I don't know if this is something I would ever really come back to, at least willingly. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not something I would mind if someone had it on the background, which is kind of what I ended up having using it for. I was doing some like homework while uh, kind of working, kind of listening to this. Um, the, the question is, Michael, I don't think you've really said how, why you uh, started listening to this and why you enjoy it so much. I, I brought on Steve Reich onto the show before mm-hmm. with his electric counterpart. Right. Fast. Yeah. Um, similar to what you guys say, this is not music that you particularly are going to jam out to it's just something that like if you want to sit down and sort of relax and really contemplate in something and and sort of get your mind moving into some abstract directions maybe you're about to write a story which is what i usually put on before i you know i get into a writing project or, right you know if i'm on a walk or something like that and i just want to think i want to get out of the mundane yeah i'll put something like this on but um, yeah, shout out to Canyon Clark again for uh, giving me a whole box of just amazing, amazing material that I will torture these two with for the rest of my. And days. how how is that first name spelled? Uh, like Grand Canyon. How we'd think. Yeah. Yes, thank you, Canyon. Again, <laughs> a professional uh, wrestler, Canyon from and if, the nineties. And if you found uh, Canyon, if you're listening, <laughs> you have found the right kind of music that someone named Canyon should be listening to. I think it's safe to say. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> All right. I don't think that's funny. Don't worry about it. Okay, good. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> We're just bullying people we've never met. At least me and uh, 
just another day. Just another day. Just another day. And, uh, well, I think it's now time to move on to my last pick from my own collection. Uh, this is... You guys managed to pick two live records out of my collection, which is weird. I, I have plenty of them, but I don't have, like, a ton. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that you managed to pick out two of them, uh, or at least that I did. I picked out one of them in particular. And, uh, well, here, listen. I love the Sonics. I love the Courtney... I love Courtney Barnett. I... Always appreciate when we can talk about them on the show, but they're bands we've touched on before. They're definitely bands that uh, we've um, at least talked about once uh, on the show, and I was kind of disappointed by that. You know, I wanted to kind of bring on some artists we probably haven't brought up at all, or maybe in like a recommendation, you know, segment. So um, I was happy that I managed to pick out a band we have never talked about, and probably would have never talked about if I had if I had not picked it from my collection. So. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to bring on uh, the band Alice Donut uh, with their 1994, 5, something like that, live record. Uh, Dry Humping the Cash Cow was recorded live at CBGB. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you can't tell from the album title alone, maybe even their band name, yeah, these, these guys are a bit silly, at least in their uh, presentation. Uh, if you've never heard of this band, uh, they're another... Um, great alternative tentacles uh, uh, band that you uh, the, they've released most of their material through that label. Uh, if you don't know alternative tentacles where have you been? It's still be off his label. Uh, of course talked about him plenty of time uh, plenty of times on the show before particularly on the whole episode from season one that wow. me and uh, former co-host Elio did on the man the myth, the legend, Jello Biafra. Go listen to that uh, when you can. But uh, yeah, Alice Donut they're if you go on Wikipedia, they're just described as a punk band, which I think is a real disservice to what this band actually sounds like. I, the, punk is not the first thing I would kind of go to with this project. I mean, maybe their first or second records could have a lot of punk flavorings to it, but they're very much more into like the kind of very loud, kind of noisy alternative uh, alt-rock uh, that, that you would uh, hear in the 90s. Uh, particularly a band that I hear a lot compared to is uh, the Butthole Surfers, probably because of their weird crazy you know comedy that they put on a lot of their titles um but i also hear twinges of like dinosaur jr thrown in here uh and their singer is like a weird dimension version of the singer from the dead milkmen like there, oh, yeah. th there's there's a lot going on with this band and uh, uh i don't know if the live record would have been the best introduction to them but yeah you know they're they they're pretty good i mean i i bought this uh, particular release from Used Kids Records in Columbus, Ohio, which is my favorite record store that I've ever oh. been to. They have a really great selection, of uh, great punk section, and uh, their new arrivals like section is always fun to look to, which is probably where I found this. Um, and it's like a double live record I got for like $8 from like the 90s, so I'm like, yeah, I'll get that. Um, and yeah, th these, these guys are um, just a lot of fun. I think we should hear their first record, uh, sorry, uh, we'll hear a song from this record, uh, and I'm going to read out the entire song title. Here we go. The son of a disgruntled ex-postal worker reflects on his life while getting stoned in the parking lot of a Winn-Dixie listening to Metallica. Yes, that was the entire song title. Let's listen to it. <laughs> Who's hungry? Donuts for dinner. <laughs> Thank you. 
definitely not their most explosive song, but I think <laughs> a good representation of how they sound. Uh, before you guys kind of give your thoughts, I do want to uh, point out a couple things. Um, I did say live at CBGB's, and you and if any uh, astute listener might have noticed, how, how is that crowd sound coming from a CBGB's live recording? Well, as you might imagine, they dubbed it, like, ridiculously, like, overdubbed the crowd noise in this record. In fact, they took crowd noises from Frampton Comes Alive and uh, Kisses Alive <laughs> and put it in, yeah. in there, so you have, like, something of, like, sta- like, like, a stadium's worth of, like, girls screaming at, like, a CBGB, so... Which, That'll do it. That's yeah, you know, good. it's it's just kind of, like, another great example of their sense of humor. Although, I will say, um, uh, Looking back, like kind of, I, I kind of dove into their lyrics because I haven't really hadn't really done it before. And while on the face of it, they seem like a really funny band. Their lyrics are dark as hell. Like, oh my god. Like, um, like they they do they they have very they do have some strong political opinions, and they're not afraid to get like, uh, I want to say graphic, but very vulgar and uh, just kind of with the way they write write stuff. Um, the song "Everybody Is on Sale," which is great, but also is very clearly about like sex trafficking and the exploitation of women. The song I just played uh, has a lot of like themes about like uh, uh, domestic abuse. In fact, I think the son is like sitting uh, uh, sitting, and he's like, pretty. I think at the end of the line he says, yeah, one day my dad will kill me and my mom in our sleep. It's just insane stuff. So uh, just fair warning, there is some, uh, you know, kind of dark topics talked about on this record, but um, and it's kind of like masked under this kind of, you know, happy, like, I don't want to say happy, kind of this wacky veneer to it. So not quite like the surfers in that respect. <laughs> but I've talked enough about this band. I want to hear what you guys thought of this. I, this is a band for me that's really hard to place, you know? Like, it's, it's similar to how I felt about A Place to Bury. Um, just, like, I don't have the cultural knowledge to put this band within a context. Um, that being said, I enjoy the sense of humor, like the, the crowd noise thing. I'm really glad you brought that up because that makes this like even more endearing to me. Um, honestly, one of the more interesting things about this release to me is that it is mid nineties and it's on vinyl. I just find that that time period where vinyl was kind of on its way out or even almost fully out. And that, that's actually an interesting point because anyone who knows anything about Jello Biafra knows he's like a big, basically much a final hoarder. He right. like gets, like, like he, if you go, there's like this show on like YouTube called Crate Diggers where they interviewed a lot of like musicians about their record collections. I think it was mostly like rap artists to talk to, but they did like a two-parter on like Jello Biafra and he talked about like when he was younger and he like go to like the free freebie bin at like his local record store, just take whatever. He was always trying to expand his music collection and, uh, and nowadays, if you look at any interview he does, especially now because everything's over Zoom, uh, like like his his background's always like just these huge mounds of like records so I, I i think i don't know if this was pressed in the mid 90s i can't say for certain but um i wouldn't surprise me if it was because he i think he really likes that that the form of like music so yeah i wouldn't be surprised if that was the case yeah Michael? My only thoughts were because I, unfortunately, this is the one record that I did not get a chance to really come around and process, but I will say that I, I like the first half because um, that's all I got time to listen to, and this sounds exactly like something Jello Biafra would be into, and something that Andrew Mullen would be into. I agree. 
Yeah. Um, the only other thing I will say about this band, uh, they did kind of break up for a little bit, I think, at the, at the end of the 90s. After, like, performing like, a thousand shows, they are like, okay, we're going to take a break. And then they, uh, uh, so they broke up for a little bit. They came back in, like, their early to mid-2000s. Uh, they've released uh, a couple records since and uh, a documentary called Freaks in Love. Um, and if you want to check out any of their stuff, because I wouldn't start with this record, I would check out the re- albums uh, Def Mule and uh, if, <laughs> uh, The Untidy Suicides of Your Degenerate Children. So there you <laughs> go. If you want to check out some records from Alice Donut, that's what I would recommend. And uh, Ooh, look at this. Look at this pressing. Look at this, folks. We, and we, now we're going on to our last uh, proper uh, pick for this episode. It's from Ben's Collection. And... Uh, Oh boy, uh, it's a very pretty <laughs> record uh, in terms of the actual, the plastic, the vinyl itself, but uh, Ben, go take it away. What are we talking about here? Hmm. What if Frank Zappa grew up in the South? <laughs> Have you ever listened to the second worst selling album in Columbia Records history? Because if you haven't, you're about to. This that we are talking about today is the Hampton Grease Band's Music to Eat. Sons of Atlanta, Georgia, the Hampton Grease Band are a amazing, one of my dear favorites, um, psychedelic band with like country elements and sounds like they like Frank Zappa and like free jazz stuff too and there's a lot going on here um chief amongst everything is that this album is a double lp clocking it in an hour and a half and there are seven songs on it um three three songs are over 20 minutes and one song is about 13 uh which is makes it a rarity in my collection for sure um this reissue by real gone music pressed on beautiful peach colored vinyl is the way to listen to it considering i don't know how you would get an original pressing since they probably barely exist um other notable things they've played with frank zappa they opened for frank zappa their last show at the fillmore east which the part at the end where they played with john where zappa played with john and yoko is on uh sometime in new york city uh, but the Hampton Grease Band were not appreciated in their time except for in Atlanta. They were never able to break out of that. Um, I learned about them over winter break from the music blog Aquarium Drunkard who, t- who had some live recordings there, talked about what the band members did afterwards, talked about the heyday of the band. Uh, I, there's honestly, there's so much here and yet so little information. Ben. Uh, if you don't mind, if I can, can I do something real quick with this special this band? I don't think we've really done it before. Yes. I'd like to read like the first paragraph or two of their Spotify bio. Okay. And the reason I want to do that is I have never read a Spotify bio that was so dismissive of the artists they were talking about in my life. <laughs> um, it's, uh, uh, so this is all from the actual official band Spotify. 
Uh, Hampton Grease Band may have ultimately been a band easier to appreciate in concept than to listen to in practice. They're all, they are also, for most listeners, a band that's much more fun to read about than to hear. For a brief period, wow. though, they were offering some of the wackiest rock ever to be found in a major label. Clearly influenced by both Zappa and Beefheart, but more grating and less accessible to the rock underground. That took early 70s avant rock aesthetics near to their, ex- near to their extremes. This guaranteed an internal cult reputation for the group, but but also ensures that their commercial success in their own time was virtually nil. Um, that's uh, that was the first paragraph of their Spotify bio, and uh, and the reason I, I read that uh, is because it, obviously, like you said, this was not very well loved in the time. This is even to this day clearly someone still has this opinion about this band, whoever wrote that. Um, this is objectively not very accessible. Yet, you you clearly wanted us to talk about this. You, Michael went to grab like an LP when he was picking records from your collection. Over, he wanted to grab an LP, but you directed his hand over to the 45, mm. and you hand selected this one, not at random. Yeah. So clearly, you wanted to talk about this album. My question is, why? Why this album, and why do you like it? Yeah. Um. I think I think that. It, it's it might be one of those things that you get it or you don't, and I think it's it's probably the 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 coolest, too cool for school album that I have in my collection. It's definitely something that like could be hipster for hipsters' sake, but for me, it's not. This is everything is here. The musicianship is great. These songs move all over the place while still retaining a core element. The lyrics are funny. Um, the singer is great. He sounds like a foghorn. Um, it's just, it's super moving music, um, and it, it's quick and dirty in the studio. There aren't really many overdubs done at all, and that makes it all the more impressive that these guys are playing for 20 minutes and have, like, five different movements in their songs. And But but there's a charm to it, too. It, it, it is not pretentious at all. There There's a very strange dichotomy of southern, like, good old boys kind of along with like really heady psychedelic rock and they were all uh i don't think any of them really used drugs either they were of the the zappa camp of not needing it so there's just kind of every element here that i would enjoy it's it's really you you kind of just have to sit down with it and experience it yourself damn Sure wish I heard some music. Well, we're going to hear a little bit of the last track on the record, Hendon, which is split into three-ish parts. The first part you're going to hear um, here is the singer singing lyrics that are taken off of the back of a spray paint can <laughs> directly. That's the lyric. Spray paint! Keep away! Breathing of vapors. Keep out of reach of children. Contents under pressure. your butt. Sticky behind the garage! The Shunadamus Treble! 
I'm not being ironic. I love this so much. It's everything. Like this, honestly, I the the what what really shows it is so I was reading this article and I was like wow this band's really interesting figuring you know I'll listen to a little bit of the music and it'll be fine and I'll move on I put on six six was the first song I heard from this that song's like 20 minutes 40 seconds or something and I started playing it just from my laptop speakers I was just like oh I'll just get a little preview of this and I didn't stop I listened to the whole album through my laptop speakers because I couldn't be bothered to stand up and go get my headphones because I was just blown away more than I'd been blown away in probably a year by music. You know, as you learn more about music, you hear more things, you get blown away by stuff less often. This broke my drought, definitely, because it's it has like non-musical outsider music elements almost. It has psych elements, country elements, uh avant-garde ambient like there's so much shit going on here and it's really funny too yeah i think we should change your name to canyon (laughs) (laughs) for real (laughs) i liked it too ben i think it's really cool i think it's cool that you brought it on i think uh i like listening to it i can uh i almost hear like um you know where king giz got their uh sort of boogie-woogie sound on uh, on their album that came before um, Infest the Rat's Nest. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cool to know where all that came from, and I wonder if they listened to this to sort of put that together, like the, the clean guitar, that like the little finger-picking right. thing that goes on there. I think it's really cool, and I, and I like the nods to Zappa and just sort of like literally wringing your neck on how much it changes and sort of evolves into different sort of genres it's yeah it's really it, cool I like it. it's people talk about you know bands like zappa uh frank zappa's mothers of invention and stuff like that as being like musicians music you know like this stuff is complex it's not really for just general music listeners you got to be into music to know it this is like musicians musicians music you know like this is the stuff that frank zappa would like this is the stuff that captain beefheart would like and this has all those elements while being, in my opinion, funnier than Zappa and at times just as crazy as uh, Trap Mask Replica. So if you're looking for something to break you out of any sort of mold, you got to listen to this. Yeah. Andrew, what did you think? Um, well, uh, I, I did not read the... I would like to clarify. I did not read the Spotify bio of this band because I agreed <laughs> with it. I, I, I read it because I thought it was hilarious, the, 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 how they described it. And, of course, it, it was a little daunting having read that. And because I read that before I listened to this. And uh, the way Ben described it, I was like, oh, this, this will be an experience. This is about as much as I know. Um, I, I can't say that this is definitely a pretty dense listen. You have to, like like you said, Ben, it's an experience. You have to sit down with this thing. This is not, there's a couple songs that are like five, three, five minutes long. But, like, it's just like most of this record is clearly meant to to be part of a larger thing. Most of the songs in here, I should say, are meant to be part of a larger uh, piece, and that is, yeah. of course, uh, Music to Eat. Uh, which, by the way, we talked about eating records earlier. It's clearly gone full circle, I just realized. Damn. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm in the mood for a vinyl sandwich. I or a vinyl all. pizza <laughs> in, in, in honor of Canyon, your, your, pe- your pizza manager. <laughs> yes. Uh, but no, uh, it, I... 
I, I really liked the guitar playing, I'll tell you that much. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, we really didn't get to hear much of that except some picking, I think, at the end of right. that clip. But, man, this is, uh, you know, it, it it's... Lyri- I, I don't think I was able to find the lyrics online, unless if you have... <laughs> no surprise. <laughs> I don't, so I was trying to listen to it. So I didn't really hurt this stuff. I knew they had some weird stuff, but uh, when it came to the lyrics. Um, but... I really like she. I kind of got it after uh, you just played that clip, uh, hearing this spray paint song because it it almost feels like a parody of a lot of the wild, you know, crazy, you know, like rock that you'd hear right. more in the quote unquote mainstream. It's always making fun of it. It's like here is like the most meaningless stuff we could put on here. And I'm gonna sing it with just as much passion and gusto as any other band would about like love or politics right. or whatever. And it's 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 honestly hilarious. Like you said, that to, was actually to that funny. point. To interrupt you for a second, yeah. first track on this, Halifax, um, is just facts about <laughs> Halifax, Canada. Like, you know, how many miles of graded roads they have and shit like that. And that's just because they were trying to come up with what to write about for that song. They had the instrumentals. And someone, like, threw a dictionary down or an encyclopedia, and it just opened to Halifax. And they were like, okay, I guess this song's about Halifax. <laughs> I mean, that's hilarious. I mean, that's, yeah, that's funny. I was going to say Halifax. Like, believe it or not, even though Halifax is about, like, um, like tw- almost 20 minutes long, I was like, okay, I mean, this is weird. This is odd. But this isn't crazy. I mean, th- this isn't, wasn't, like, I, I could kind of hear this being on, like, a, a, a Captain Beefheart, like, record. Right. You know, I can hear that. But there was something about Six, like you said, that just got progressively weirder as it went along. It was another really long track, if I remember correctly. It yeah. Was, just I don't know there's just I I, I I couldn't get to this in one sitting if I remember I, I couldn't but I it's it's an experience it's not one I'm like crazy to relive but you know <laughs> it's it's definitely one I'm glad I had I think. yeah it's it's already farty bullshit for the person who's afraid of being pretent- pretentious which is me um, it's I cannot recommend it enough there is absolute shredding on this mm-hmm. like just all the musicians are great. The vocalist is great. I'm gushing over this more than I've gushed over most things I brought on the show because I have never heard another record anything like this. And that kind of does it, I think. Yeah. Um, what do, in conclusion, final. We go, like it. Go eat a record sandwich. Yeah. Music to eat. Uh, go go seek this one out. That's two LPs. You'll be full mm-hmm. at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same with Steve Reich. Oh my, oh my God, you, yes. you'll, you'll, and the, you'll die. Yes, and to, conti- <laughs> and to continue <laughs> with our love of vinyl, all of our recommendations will actually come from our collection as well. Mm-hmm. I don't remember who was first, but... Uh, it was Andrew. looks like Andrew. it's me first. Cool. All right, so I actually have, like... I've actually created a list now, and of course we don't have a ton of episodes left in the season, so I won't go through it. But the music I definitely want to at least try to recommend on the show before my last episode of the season, and this is definitely one of them. Uh, this is the Coat Hangers. Um, uh, they're a trio? Yeah, they're, they're a trio, like, punk rock group uh, that I think I started in the mid-2000s, and uh, they, they utilize two different singers. They're really cool. Um, it, I can't say they're the most... This is going to sound like... I, I'm going to do a great job recommending this, uh, recommending this, but I can't say they're the most consistent band ever. They're definitely a one of those bands you have to kind of like listen through the records and pick the songs you like but uh when they're good they're really good they're excellent riff writers um they like they one of their singers i don't know their names uh but 
there there is a live record. Um, I think it's just called Coat Hangers Live. They have a they have a song called Getting Mad Pumping Iron, and it is literally <laughs> just this just this high pitched chick just screaming about like punching people and like getting violent it's amazing definitely go seek that saga it's great i love it so much <laughs> they look scared for a second it's, hey it, it, it's the context is great um but yeah no it's clearly a song someone wrote about uh well getting mad and pumping some iron indeed i do not pump iron so i can't relate to it too much however what i will say is the first song on this record for the video listeners i'll hold it up to the camera uh suck my shirt shirt which was released in 2014 on uh suicide speed records that's what i thought it was um yeah and this is a this is probably my favorite record of theirs uh at least the ones that i've heard um I want to hear the music. You know you want to hear the music, Ben, Michael, whoever you are. I'm getting <laughs> to that. Uh, but yeah, I bring the, I brought this record here because I want to play the first track, Follow Me, because, and I'm not exaggerating, this is one of my favorite riffs from the past decade. Damn. I love this song so much. Let's hear it. Follow me. Let's go. I think you're right to play with it. Yeah. It's a bell drop. I probably need to replace it. Yeah. But this is a. I mean, that's a thing to add. It's just like, you know, I think that's a good No, it's a good right. But, uh, don't let the security stop there. This is still good. Definitely look for a direct. If you are going to replace your player, definitely get a direct. Yeah. A little more expensive, but they're worth it. Yeah. Now, you just want to get the upgrade against the LP120. Um, that, that has a direct drive, so Yeah, that was uh, Follow Me. I love that song. What did you guys think? I thought it was a good jam. Certified classic. Certified classic, just like what I'm about to recommend. Hell yeah. I don't know about y'all, but um, I've been feeling the stress of this semester more than pretty much any other in my college career. (laughs) And uh, I've turned to a lot of uh, music that kind of puts me in a kind of a depressed mood because things are rough. But... um, there's some people in this room that aren't mature enough to admit that Wild is the Wind is Nina Simone's best record, but it is. Nina Simone sings the blues. Nope. It is Wild is the Wind, and it came out in 1966. And I could recommend you literally any song off this record, particularly Lilac Wine, the Black is the Color of My True Love's Hair, Break Down and Let It All Out. I mean, that's a good one. So much good stuff. But to make it easy on Ben, I'd like to play the first track. I love your loving ways.
original pressings around here, boys. So hopefully y'all can make out a song from all that static. But yeah, yes. that, that the way that that sounds uh, coming from that beat up old record sounds like how my dad thinks that vinyl sounds and makes fun of me for. <laughs> yeah. Clean your record, Michael. <laughs> this is uncleanable. It's um, still a fantastic record. No, that's that, no, that's great. To uh, to stall a little bit to benefit myself. Um, that's a really interesting record because at least that first song, it's got sort of a like Motown sound almost, which is a weird thing to hear with Nina Simone's vocals over it if you're used to her later stuff. Yeah, that particular record, you know, I was saying just like got a lot of ups and downs in this semester and got some high points, got some low points, and it's pretty much all there on Wild is the Wind. But now it's time for Ben's recommendation to round us out for this episode. Yes, some more colored vinyl to end things off. A sort of disgusting looking like neon yellow green thing has appeared on the turntable. Um, the label is also incorrect. Both sides are labeled as side two. Um, so I have some masking tape that has the actual side one marked. Um, this is one of my favorite singles covers of all time. This is the Mekons Where Were You? Their second single um, in what became an illustrious career but ended up sounding very different from this. Um, this is a two chords in the truth kind of song uh, about just being stood up and being alone and feeling like you should be with someone when they feel differently. It's something that definitely resonated with me a lot in high school. Um, but I still think that the song is great. It has an energy that just builds throughout the entire thing. I highly recommend you go find the original and listen to it if because you can't hear the whole thing here, and it really does build. But um, the Mekons are interesting because they were art school students, and they started out as a parody punk band, as in terms of a parody of the entire movement in general. Um, their first single, you definitely hear that. Uh, they don't know how to play their instruments at all. And the lyrics are very, very ham-fistedly political. Um, but you can tell that they got serious about making music pretty quick with both sides of this single um, being their second single. This uh, Where Were You is just a fabulous, beautiful song, and I can't say enough good things about it. Um, here it is.
great song. And the listener will be happy to hear that I have two short surprise segments to end the show. <laughs> okay. Okay, so first of all, um, Andrew, did you know that um, from like 2009 to 2014, there was mm-hmm. this event that happened on the high seas yeah. called the Weezer Cruise? Um, and I know that we've asked you before if you'd want to go on that. Um, and and you've, you've been sort of waffling about it. Uh, and I would really like to convince you today. So I'm going to bring some of the uh, events on board in to entice you to joining the Weezer Cruise. Um, first of all, you could watch Young Frankenstein with Brian from Weezer. You could get your photo taken with Weezer. One fan took this moment to propose to his girlfriend. You could uh, hear, of course, the Pinkerton Diaries being read from, which is basically just Rivers saying, I'm sad, over and over again for 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, You could uh, watch the Weezer game show with Pat, Scott, Brian, and Josh uh, battling it out through music, boat facts, and general knowledge questions. Um, You could get your vows renewed with Scott from Weezer. Um, and of course there's a, a Q&A there, you can play shuffleboard with Pat if that entices you at all mm-hmm. and then also something I would like to point out is what they are playing is they're playing Pinkerton in its entirety they're playing B-sides they're playing like deep cut stuff mm-hmm. and you know who else was on this particular cruise who Dinosaur Jr. and Sebado so basically Dinosaur, Dinosaur Jr. and half yes Okay. Well, um, you finally answered. You can probably give me a more straightforward answer on what they're playing, which I appreciate. Um, all those activities make me want to jump off the side of a cruise ship, though. Oh. So now I'm toward. Um, and also, we should also add that cruise ships are one of the worst things you can do to the environment. They pump out, like, like one singular cruise ship pumps out, like, more carbon, I think, into the air than, like, a, like a million cars. But you could get your stupid. vows renewed with Pat. I mean, it, yeah, if, you, if you're if you okay with uh, destroying a rainforest and you could use pumping the, out more dinosaur juice in the sky, if you want to get your vows renewed, um, you could have at it. Pat. Have at it. Last name. You could uh, get your... Uh, you could get you could propose in front of Weezer while they're taking a picture that, of you with that's, them. That's wow. Does that sound awkward? Yes. G- yes, it does. Proposing to anyone okay. in front of a band performing Go- incel uh, anthems right. does let sound it, awkward. Let it be known, March twenty first, ban- Andrew would still not, not go on the Weezer cruise. No, um, we will return next right. week. We will. Um, but a- as a final segment. Um, this is called Vinyl Grab Bag, which I just came up with in the last five minutes, <laughs> realizing that I didn't have a playout. Um, so, here in the studio with me, I have a bag of probably like 40, 45s that I was going to use in some sort of decorative form. But what we're going to do with them now is someone's going to reach their hand in here and pick one out, and that'll be our playout for the day. And I don't know what it's going to be. So, Andrew, will you do Andrew, the honors? Yes, I will. Andrew is going to do, do the honors. I love doing this kind of stuff. Okay. So I'm not going to go with the top one. Okay. Here he goes, ladies and gentlemen. Shuffle through here. These are probably all horribly scratched because they're just They're probably all horrible as well. Yeah. They're guaranteed. These are probably just cheap novelty. And it's that, Pink so. Triangle by Weezer. Hey. <laughs> no, it is. Um, <laughs> okay. This is off Capitol Records. A very green, a very emerald green Capitol label. Uh, not the Beatles, unfortunately. No, we have... Um, 
Um, Jackie uh, Gleason presents music for lovers only. Oh. So, we, you guys gotta get out of here. We need some lovers in here. Um, <laughs> so. That's you? <laughs> you heard. <laughs> <laughs> so fit, yeah okay so andrew picked it so michael you picked the track yeah what 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 read out all the tracks there's two on each side okay. michael get on the mic <laughs> okay. we got i'm in the mood for love we got love is here to stay oh god i wonder what else something with love in it there is a song called love okay and then but not for me are, you sh- are we sure this oh. isn't just a EP for the Beatles release? That'd be a, Ch- that'd be a Baker, uh, cover there, yeah. but not for me. That's a good tune. Let's go with uh, I'm in the Mood for Love. Okay. Are we sure this isn't just an oh. EP from and the Beatles release known as Love? I'm, I'm quite sure. And Michael, a very appropriate choice, I'm in the Mood for Love, because we've been remiss to mention it thus far, but this is, of course, Season 6, Episode 9. Nice. <sighs> and... There goes any chance for advertisers. I would like to uh, move that instead of saying goodnight Detroit this time, we give season six, episode nine, a nice, nice at the end of this episode. What do you say yes. to that, Andrew? Three, two, one. Nice. Oh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> My ears. Oh, this is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I'm, yeah, I am in the mood for love right now. Listen to this. Oh, how could you not be? <laughs> <laughs>